Welcome. Uh, my name is Andy. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Stratham Central Church. Uh, it's great to see you. Um, it's really great to see you because I think it's been about 18 months since uh, we've been able to do this. To someone to be standing up here looking at uh, faces uh, and be encouraged. So it's a, it's a really special occasion. Um, and what a privilege for me to be able to be up here uh, bringing to you God's word in those circumstances. Um, we're in a series in Mark. Um, uh, we're about four or five uh, talks in. Uh, if you've missed any of those or you've, you've come in part way, uh, do catch up. They're uh, available online on our YouTube channel. Uh, some excellent talks uh, there. Alex started the series pointing us to the main theme of Mark, Mark's letter. Good news. Evangelion. John the Baptist preparing the way, teaching a baptism of repentance. Uh, this good news is a message that should make you perform a complete reversal on your life. Connor uh, uh, encouraged us to continue to follow Jesus, listen to him, and he will use you to call others. We saw Jesus start his ministry, proclaiming the good news. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. He then calls the disciples to be fishers of men. Matt, uh, Matt Watt encouraged us to be amazed at Jesus' authority. We, we aren't amazed enough, are we? Amazed at Jesus' authority and to submit to who he is. Jesus preached with an authority in the way the other rabbis didn't and the people were amazed. He even had the authority to drive out demons. Uh, Matt Simpson uh, last week uh, reminded us that uh, Jesus cares about communicating the good news. The main aim of Jesus was to communicate the message of good news. And Jesus reminded his disciples that that was why he had come. And we come to today's passage, uh, the story of the leper. Um, I'm going to read the passage and we'll pray and then we'll, we'll pick it apart and see what comes out of it. You can find the passage on your service sheet. It's Mark chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him, on, uh, sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Uh, let's just commit uh, this morning to uh, God in prayer. Um, Father God, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you uh, that it's alive and living. Um, please may your spirit bring it to life in our lives. Uh, challenge us. Let us be amazed at the good news that we see in your word this morning. Help us to hear it with authority. Um, help us to be amazed at the authority with which you speak to us through your word. And um, yeah, may it go deep into our hearts. Uh, please guard my words. Um, help me to teach it faithfully. May your spirit um, be at work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I wonder what you discussed as your most shocking moment. It's a shocking start to this passage. A man with leprosy came to him. That understates a hugely provocative and offensive encounter. Leprosy, uh, what we know as Hansen's disease, is a bacterial infection. It attacks the nerves uh, in your skin over many years. And bit by bit, you lose the ability to sense touch and pain. It leads to injuries, uh, cuts, burns. Uh, you can lose limbs uh, as a result of it. Um, leprosy in the Bible is slightly different. Leprosy, the word, is used in a general term, and it covers a variety of chronic Skin diseases, it's not just limited to the Hansen's disease that we know of. The Hebrew term covers skin diseases such as boils, burns, itches, ringworm, scalp conditions. Scribes counted as many as 72 different afflictions that were defined as leprosy. Two whole chapters of Leviticus are devoted to it. It's really detailed. It reads like a, a medical manual on how to diagnose skin diseases and how to stop them spreading. It was a significant thing for the Israelites. Uh, understandably, without treatment in a hot climate, many skin diseases were vicious. They were infectious and damaging and needed to be contag uh, contained. It had social implications as well. Not only was the uh, disease painful and debilitating, but it rendered the victims religiously and socially unclean. They were required to live outside of the cities and towns, have no contact with anyone, and declare themselves unclean when anyone approached. The dread of it is reflected in Leviticus 13. It says, The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. To ensure against contact with societies, lepers were required to make their appearance as repugnant as possible. Josephus, the uh, early historian, speaks of the banishment of lepers as those in no way differing from a corpse. This isn't simply a description of an illness. This is a sentence. It's a, that's a death sentence. The diagnosis of leprosy covers both medical and social dimensions. So the very fact that a man with leprosy came to Jesus is shocking in itself. They were required to stand 50 paces away from anyone. It would have gone against all the cultural norms. It would have risked rendering Jesus unclean, condemning him to a life of isolation. Even um, standing under a tree, a, a leper standing under a tree, pollutes anyone who passes underneath it. But the leper risks everything for the chance of healing and being restored. But leprosy has an association in the Bible to sin as well. Unlike other diseases, the Bible doesn't speak of healing leprosy, but nearly always of cleansing it. Part of the reason may be the horrible nature of the disease, but more likely explanation is that leprosy is a, a symbol of sin that must be cleansed. If you do a word search on unclean in the Bible, uh, the word unclean it either relates to leprosy, as we've described, or it's describing a symbol of sin that must be cleansed. Sorry, uh, either it relates to leprosy, um, that made the, sorry, the word either relates to leprosy or things that made the Israelites unclean. 
that means they were cut off from God. So whether that was a sin or a food they ate or that was forbidden or an unclean spirit uh, or a Gentile people they related to, those things made them unclean. It cut them off from God. Leprosy was in that category. If anyone did or ate something unclean, they'd have to offer sacrifices to make themselves clean before God. Leprosy was generally regarded as a divine punishment. It had eternal implications. You can see why leprosy is symbolic of sin. We've already talked about leprosy cutting, off, cutting people off from God's people, where God dwelt. God's people was where God dwelt. So if you were cut off from God's people, you were cut off from God. Sin cuts us off from God. Leprosy contaminates Israel's status as a holy people, just as sin contaminates us before God. Leprosy is something that could only be declared clean by a priest. We can only be cleansed by the great high priest, Jesus. The priest, in order to declare that person clean, would have to go out of the camp, because the leper was cast out, was outside of the camp. They'd have to go out of God's people in order to declare him clean. Jesus leaves his Father to come down to save us, to cleanse us from our sin. Leprosy is often hidden for a long time before the effects are seen. We don't often realise the damage that sin, our rejection of God, causes until it's too late. Leprosy is something that attacks the skin and sin is often described as acting in the flesh. Leprosy will keep spreading until it affects the whole body. Sin left unresolved, unpaid, will ultimately lead to death. It's also interesting that where this passage sits uh, as leprosy is introduced. So just beforehand in Mark, directly before, there's two passages uh, dealing with healing and driving out demons. And, and Jesus doesn't mention sin at all in those ones. But immediately following this, We've got two examples when Jesus makes it clear that we need more than just physical healing. We need our sins forgiven. And Jesus says we need a divine physician for that. So leprosy has medical implications, it has social implications, but more importantly it has parallels with sin and the way that sin cuts us off from God. Which brings me to our first point. Just as the leper came to Jesus knowing full well who he was, without being cleaned, we need to come to Jesus recognising who we are without his saving work. If you're not a Christian here this morning, without putting your trust in the saving work of Jesus' death on the cross, this is who we are. Cut off from God, in need of someone to save us. The difference between a leper and someone who doesn't put their trust in God, is the leper would have been under no illusions as to who he was and where he stood before God. Well, to try and deny we have a problem, we'll probably deny there's a God. How can I be cut off from something I don't believe in? But that doesn't change the reality that ultimately, if we go on living this way, eventually we'll die. Not only physically, but spiritually cut off from God for eternity. If you're a Christian, it can be helpful to remember that what we once were, before we put our trust in Jesus, he took our dirty rags and clothed us in righteousness. 
to have a full appreciation of what God has done for us, and we'll come on to that, and to rejoice in it fully, we have to have a right understanding of who we once were. We were once the equivalent of the spiritual leper, our sin making us as good as dead, cutting us off from God, doing harm to others without even realising it, with no ability to affect a change. And it can be helpful to remember what our flesh still desires, to be reminded daily of our propensity to reject Jesus in our thoughts, actions and deeds, and daily repent of those. So a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. His, that's, that's again another shocking kind of statement. We, don't, we sort of brush over, we've probably read this passage so many times it doesn't really sort of sink in. His approach and posture, begging him on his knees, betrays his desperation to be clean. Have you tried going on your knees on the hard floor? It's quite painful actually. It's not something you can hold for very long without a cushion or a soft surface. But more significantly is the symbolism. It's a, it's a sign of subordination, isn't it? For us in our society, it's an affront to even think about it. To be begging on our knees to someone, it breaks our sense of pride, our individuality, uh, our society's rejection of subservience of, of someone above us. Even most people who beg on the street seem to do it sat down or standing up. I think most people presented with a beggar on their knees, would, I'd find that quite awkward to deal with. It's, it's one thing to turn away someone holding out their hand. It's another thing to turn away someone who's subordinating themselves before you on their knees in desperation. We've been thinking of Afghanistan this morning. It's, it's full of people begging, prostrating, pleading to get out of that country. They are under no illusions to the reality they are in, and they are desperate. This man was desperate. We come to Jesus in desperation. What would make you beg on your knees? Not just in private, on your knees in prayer, with a cushion to kneel on, but begging to someone on hard ground, in public, in desperation. Do we come to Jesus recognising that only he can save us? Or do we have the mindset that I'm actually alright? Or maybe that we can put it off to tomorrow? Do we get the predicament of our situation without Jesus? The leper knew he had one chance and one chance only. And he broke every rule in the book. He humbled himself in order to grab that opportunity. Do we recognise the insidious nature of our sin? Do we recognise that we come to Jesus with nothing and every reason for him to reject us and so fall on our knees desperate for his healing touch? I'm sorry if this is heavy stuff, it's, the good stuff is to come, but it's made even better when we know where we've come from. Um, let's move on, it says, the leper says to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The leper's faith is revealed by the fact that he doesn't question Jesus' ability to save him, only his willingness to save him. Firstly, if you're willing, says you're in charge. It recognises the sovereignty of Jesus. Somehow the leper knew that Jesus didn't have to heal him. The leper was acknowledging who was in 
really in charge. There was no sense of entitlement. There was no demand from this man, only a desperate and humble request. Secondly, the leper believed that Jesus could do it. He came to Jesus with faith, confidence, and sureness of what Jesus could do. The leper had already heard about Jesus and his healing. In, so in the leper's mind, there was no doubt what Jesus could do. There was only one question, would Jesus do it? And we need to come to Jesus recognising who he is. Do we come in the same way? Do we recognise he is God? Do we recognise that he is sovereign? And are we a humble under that? Do we recognise that Jesus can heal us, not only physically, but more importantly, as Mark makes even more clear in the next story, to make us clean from our sins? We need to come to Jesus recognising he is all-powerful and totally sovereign. Surprisingly, the, the response of Jesus is no less scandalous than the leper's audacity. The, the next bit, Jesus was indignant. I don't know about you, did you expect it? to say indignant? Um, uh, probably not, because most other translations have uh, the word compassion. Even the, the previous NIV translation had, has compassion. Um, uh, one of the earliest manuscripts, though, does have the word uh, for indignation or anger. Um, it's notable, interesting, that, that the other Gospels don't even mention compassion or anger. They've, they've sort of avoided that. But Mark is making a point that there's this word either compassion or anger. We could spend many hours on this. Um, the fact that um, there is debate around which word is right is good. It's good that there's open discussion. The manuscripts are available to be examined. Uh, the debates and papers are written on it and they're to be read. There's nothing hidden about the possibility that either word could have been original. Um, there's general consensus that anger probably is the right one for a variety of external and internal reasons to the Bible. Um, but what I'm going to briefly going to try and do is make a case for both compassion and indignation. In this context, from coming from Jesus, anger initially seems wrong. It's odd. Why, why is he angry? But anger may not be as offensive as it first appears if we consider what Jesus might have been indignant at. Is it the leper? It would be out of character for Jesus to be angry with the leper for interrupting him or approaching him contrary to the law. It doesn't seem to tie up with Jesus' character that we th see throughout the Gospels. Jesus was perhaps angered that the leper doubted that Jesus desired his cleansing. Maybe it was at the religious authorities for being unwilling or unable to help the man tied in their sacrificial system, not seeing the sin for what it is. Or perhaps Jesus was angry at the entire evil order in which suffering has such a prominent part. Uh, in Judges chapter 10, God is indignant over the misery of Israel, much as Jesus seems to do here. If anger was the original reading, it's likely that Jesus could rightly have been indignant for any of all of those reasons. But more importantly, even if anger or indignation is the original word used, the compassion of Jesus comes out clearly in the fact that he reaches out and he touches the leper. With Jesus, compassion replaces contempt. Rather than turning away from the leper, Jesus turns to him. Indeed, he touches him. 
bringing himself into full contact with physical and ritual untouchability. Maybe we've read this so many times, we've lost the impact of what's about to happen. Good rabbis don't break the law. They uphold it. Jesus could have stood at a distance and healed him with words. He didn't need to touch him. No one would have touched that person in years. Such a thing was unheard of and, and made Jesus' ceremony unclean. Ritual uncleanliness, however, was no consequence to Jesus in comparison with human need. In many respects, the touch of Jesus speaks more loudly than his words. He doesn't just empathise, but he acts in compassion. It can be easy to confuse those two words, empathy uh, and compassion. Empathy says, I understand what you're going through, and usually full stop. Compassion is feeling for someone and a desire to help. It says, I can understand your distress and I want to help. Compassion sees distress and is deliberate in stepping across the divide, active in seeking to help. Jesus clearly cares and is moved to act on that care, living out Psalm 86, but you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God. So what can we learn from Jesus' response? If you're experiencing distress or suffering, know that Jesus is angry at the broken order of things. It's right to be angry, to express indignation at the misery of both physical and spiritual brokenness in this world. In our attempt to not offend or pronounce judgment, we can steer away from expressing right emotions around the misery we see in the world, as well as the direction people are going if they continue to cut themselves off from God. I'm guilty as anyone of wanting to be careful with my words so I don't offend. I spend an inordinate amount of time being careful to pick the right words to say often, that sometimes I'm at risk of not calling out the effects of sin in this world or where it will lead. The misery sin brings to lives and the way it cuts people off from God should cause us right indignation. In John 11, Jesus uh, saw Mary weeping. This was in the uh, story of Lazarus and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. That word moved is moved with anger. Jesus feels indignation and anger at the brokenness of this world. So we must also follow Jesus' example of compassion. Colossians 3 says, Here there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scythe, slave or free. You could add leper or not leper there. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. We need to see the distress, step across the divide, be active in bringing relief, both physically and spiritually. Meeting people's needs in their distress should go hand in hand in pointing them to Christ who meets their deepest need of bringing them back into relationship with God. Jesus is willing to touch those who have been rejected, abandoned and forgotten. As followers of Jesus, we also need to do the same. I wonder who for you that person is that you couldn't imagine reaching out to help, that you couldn't imagine crossing the street, that you imagine crossing the street and walking by, whose lifestyle or actions are beyond the pale, who you've decided that suffering they're enduring is clearly a consequence of their life or their actions. There's a lot of judgment <laughs> going around in the world at the moment 
in social media and elsewhere um, whose, whose lifestyle and actions is beyond what you could reach across to care for? Who are the social and moral equivalent of lepers today? And then the words of Jesus. I am willing, he said, be clean. I am willing, he said, be clean. It's worth stepping aside briefly at this point to say this passage makes it clear that Jesus has the power to heal physically, but in his sovereignty, not everyone is healed. The implication is there. No matter how hard they pray, not everyone is healed. Maybe you've experienced this for yourself. Experienced a disappointment again and again. Maybe you've waited a long time. Maybe you've even given up. Maybe you've reached that point that you doubt that God cares for you at all. One Christmas when I was 11, my mother fell ill with a virus. She recovered, but then was wiped out again a few days later. And so began over 14 years of a debilitating struggle with ME. A couple of years ago, you probably wouldn't have heard of ME. Now I just have to mention long COVID and you'll have an idea of what I mean. Some weeks you could barely get to the bathroom and back to bed again. Other times a friend visiting for a chat would wipe her out. The hardest bits were probably the highs and the lows. The highs of her seeming to recover were followed by crushing lows of her relapsing. Caring for her was hard. Her living through it was even harder for her. So many prayers were offered up. So many times she went forward during a meeting when people were invited to be prayed for healing. I watched the elders come to our house and anoint her head with oil and pray faithfully for healing as James chapter 5 commands. All to seemingly no avail. Over the years since, I've maybe glimpsed fragments of God's purpose in what he put our family through, but I still couldn't give you a coherent reason. Two families we know have had the tragedy of losing their children, both from a virus that led to sepsis, where two healthy children, three and eight, went from healthy children to death in less than 24 hours. This was despite every effort of the doctors and wonderfully by the wonders of instant communication these days, literally hundreds of people around the world were praying for them at that time. That's something that no parent should have to endure. And I know there are many in this room and probably listening uh, on the recording who can tell similar or harder stories. This isn't a competition. Yet I can also tell stories of friends who've experienced God's miraculous healing power, of doctors left astonished, of crushed skulls fusing back together in the space of an ambulance trip to the hospital. I don't know how God will answer your prayers, but I know this passage tells us God cares and will respond. Every case we've read about in Mark and will be read out in the coming weeks, Jesus didn't have to respond. The first two, 
on a Sabbath. This one with a letter, leper. Respectable rabbis don't have to or won't do that. Jesus did what he did because he loved them. We won't know how he will answer our prayers, but this passage tells us that he does have compassion and can act. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Again, a, a simple statement that belies a, a stunningly, shockingly radical transformation. This isn't something that happens over time. There was no period of recovery. There's very few healings that happen immediately. To the leper, in that moment, he would quite literally have been born again. The medical, the social divide's broken down. Let's just take a moment to savour that. It's good. Savour it. Outcast, cut off, as good as dead, included in the family, alive. The experience would have been amazing, as Matt Watt would say. It's quite literally would have been like being born again. His life given back to him. Can you imagine that feeling that would have been? For those who've put their trust in Jesus to cleanse them from their, from their sins, that's the same experience that we get. It's immediate. You're restored to God in right relationship. You're a new creation. 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You are a new creation. You're born again. Let's live in that reality. Ephesians 2, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in, in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of, his, of riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You don't have to keep repaying your sins. Christ has died for your sins. He's taken your polluted, stinking rags from you, put them on himself, and he's taken his robes of righteousness and he's put them on you. He's not only brought you into the family, he's adopted you as sons and daughters. Isn't that amazing? We're, we were once spiritually like that leper, cut off from God. Uh, Jesus reaches out in compassion, dying on the cross in our place. A psalm this morning was so appropriate. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds? We don't do that often enough, do we? How awesome is it that you've done that for us? The psalm says it twice. Come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. We should, not just to ourselves, to the people out there, God is awesome. Let's rejoice in Jesus' response. It's amazing. It's very good news for all people. Moving on. Uh, verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Uh, it was actually a, almost a snort 
the, the word in the Hebrew is. It's an anger, angry, sort of frustrated snort. Um, and that word sent away is one that's actually used for kind of casting out demons. It speaks of a very strong kind of sending away. It's possible that Mark used those uh, words in a milder sense than normal, but there is a sense that in some ways Jesus was angry as he sent the leper away. Kind of links with the indignation Jesus had to start with. But why the sense of anger? Jesus may well have realised that the man would disobey his command to be silent and this would greatly hinder his, in, his ministry. Furthermore, Jesus and Mark wanted to make, a very plain, make it very plain that his primary ministry was not healing, but preaching a message of redemption. Don't tell this to anyone. Uh, Matt covered this a couple of weeks ago. Um, there could be a number of reasons why uh, Jesus was um, hiding his divinity at that point. Um, he might have wanted the message to be publicly known at that point. It might just have been a practical thing. It might have been a, avoiding distractions, crowd control. We can see that in this passage, the result of him being known, driven out of town. Um, might have been that he didn't want demons or those who didn't really acknowledge him or understand who he was to be proclaiming the good news. Jesus is earnest about guarding the veil of his identity, preserve it from misunderstanding and false response. And you can see an element of that here. He wanted it to be revealed in his time, in his way. The important thing to note is that every single miracle, sign and wonder that Jesus performed throughout his ministry was intended to confirm the gospel message, the good news message that he was proclaiming. They were part of his ministry, but not the main event. The primary purpose of Jesus' ministry on earth was to proclaim the good news, as we've heard already. Which brings us on to Jesus' instruction. Go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. There's two important reasons why um, he might have commanded the leper to go to the priests. Um, one very important practical reason for him to go was that the priest needed to officially pronounce that person cleansed and healed. No one was going to let him back into society without a decree that he'd been cleansed. But Jesus also would have likely wanted him to go through the official requirements so that there would be a public testimony to the priest and those who heard about it. It was a testimony that the sacrificial system has been fulfilled, that one greater than the priest had come. Any priest involved in pronouncing this former leper clean would have been confronted with the reality of Jesus' undeniable healing power and have pointed to the fulfilment of the whole sacrificial system ushered in in the prophecies of Isaiah and beyond. And that, no doubt, would have spread throughout the religious elites. elites. Essentially, in the next two um, stories you see, the previous ones, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, haven't really been on the scene so much. And suddenly, he sent this guy off to the priest to, to give testimony. And the next two stories, suddenly the teachers of the law and the Pharisees are on the scene. Who is this guy? What's he doing? I'll leave Sim to expand on more of that next week. Um, but what does the leper do? Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Instead of, uh, yeah, instead of doing as 
Jesus said, he spreads the news. Does he, sorry, does the cleansed leper listen to Jesus? No, he goes out and he talks freely, disobeying Jesus' command. Notice also what he spreads. It's not the good news, is it? The Evangelion, the gospel. It's just the news. It's skin deep news, probably. This guy can heal. Not good news. This guy can save. Mark's been telling us about good news of Jesus, but the cleansed leper just spreads the news. And in capping uh, of the links between the uh, leprosy and sin and pointing to Jesus' part in dealing with our sin, the result is, ironically, Jesus exchanges place with the leper. The leper was on the outside, outside of the town. The leper now mixes freely, and Jesus is now on the outside of town, driven into the lonely places. There seems to be a symbolism of, the, of exchanging of places going on here. But wonderfully, yet, God's purposes are still fulfilled as people still come to him from everywhere. So then my last point, live in obedience to him. Let's be listeners to Jesus' command. As we've been transformed by his grace, by his death on the cross, as we marvel and are amazed at what he's done for us, as we realised who we are when we came to him, as we realise our desperation from him, as we're transformed, let's be listeners to Jesus' command. Let's be obedient to testify to the good news. Not just the news that Christians are great and get on well with each other and are, are good fun to be with. No, the good news that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. And that's freely available to all. And that God's kingdom might be furthered as a result. So, come to Jesus. Recognise who you are. You're a sinner in need of cleansing. Come to Jesus in desperation. You need Jesus to do that cleansing. Come to Jesus recognising who he is. He has the power to make you clean. Rejoice in what Jesus has done. Oh, the sweet, sweet rejoicing of what Jesus has done and live a transformed life live in obedience to him that the good news might go out as a result let's close in prayer dear father thank you for the story of the leper thank you for the audacity of the leper thank you for the compassion that you show. Thank you that you care about our brokenness. You care about our physical brokenness. You care even more about our spiritual brokenness and you've done something about that. Help us to rejoice in that good news. Help us to speak of that good news. Help us to point to you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.